0: This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football.
1: Talk about culture. It's something
0: that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Dustin Hawkinsmith and Johnny McGonagall. Welcome in, Northwestern Week, here on the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Johnny McGonagall here with me. We are. Uh, you know, we're leading up to Northwestern. We're also lead, leading up to the bye week. We're leading up to really that defining stretch of games that everybody has been looking forward to um, coming up as well. Uh, so we're going to talk some Northwestern. We're going to talk about uh, what James Franklin touched on uh, on Wednesday. I want to talk about this Penn State offense a little bit too. So we'll we'll start, uh, Johnny, just James Franklin um, what do you bring up with reporters? And one of the interesting things was, that, and I think you led with it when you wrote about it, was how Penn State's preparing for this environment ahead. And James Franklin turning the, the volume way, way down, uh, which is a change of pace. But again, I mean, I think when he says, hey, we got to be honest with what we're going to be walking into on Saturday, it's probably true. They're averaging about 17,000 fans. And it's a, a stark contrast from the whiteout. So I I get it. They're, they're practicing. In the quiet, and and James is kind of challenging these guys to, what is your motivation? Is it an internal or external?
1: Yeah, Dustin, it was interesting. Uh, you know, James was asked about uh, the environment at Northwestern, and you know, it's not the whiteout basically. And and the primary part of the question was about it being like an eleven a.m. local kick, but James kind of took it and, and was talking about the the more so the environment at Ryan Field. And yeah, th- this is not going to be a whiteout type of crowd. You know, last week Penn State played in front of, you know, uh, the, the second highest attended game in Beaver Stadium history, you know, 110,830 830. Meanwhile, Northwestern has hosted two games this year uh, against UTEP. They played in front of 14,850. And last week against Minnesota, they played in front of just over 20,000. It's going to be more Penn State fans there than Northwestern fans, I would expect. And so maybe that attendance will be a little bit higher from the you know, Chicago chapter of the Penn State Alumni Association uh, making that short drive to Evanston. But either way, it's not going to be a raucous crowd. And something I even saw on Twitter, uh, Bill Landis, who covers Ohio State, said that you know last year Northwestern didn't play any music during their pregame warm-ups. Uh, and that Northwestern did most of its pregame warm-up work off-site, and that Ohio State was just warming up alone on the field in silence until about 30 minutes before kickoff. It's It can be an eerie, weird scene at Ryan Field. I don't know if that's a psychological thing that Pat Fitzgerald was trying last year that maybe their interim coach will continue or uh, will, will try again uh, this year, but Penn State has been preparing for that lack of environment. Uh, like you mentioned, You know, they were not pumping in music this week during practice, even, uh, you know, while they normally play, you know, in the air tonight by Phil Collins. uh, You know, I remember that clip went viral before when Tommy Stevens and Trace McSorley were doing the drums uh, during practice. It was um, it's been a big thing for Penn State to play that during practice. Players were asking Franklin to turn that up during Wednesday's practice. And Franklin said, no, like I'm not turning it up. Because you have to be honest, Franklin said you have to be honest about what it's going to be like there, you know, it can be challenging to play there, and it's going to be a factor. And so I remember a handful of years ago, Franklin said you have to bring your own juice. Um, And that's basically what it's going to be like this weekend. Uh, You're not going to have 110,000 at your back. You're not going to even be in like, you know, an Ohio State or Michigan or Wisconsin or Iowa type of atmosphere where fans are booing you and, and they're going crazy. Uh, So you can't even feed off that. Um, So we're going to see what kind of team this is kind of in a vacuum uh, this weekend.
0: I think Northwestern is just steering into the idea that lack of environment is an environment, (laughs) you know, like, and I know they're, they're, they, you know, they're, they're embracing the idea that, you know, that's just, that's just the way that it is, especially this season. Uh, And, and really, I mean, I, I think the, the question and that's. Maybe the number one challenge to this team is that, you know, whether they're whether guys are looking forward to the bye week or whether they're, you know, there was emotion and energy that that comes from the whiteout crowd and, you know, getting a little bit of revenge against Iowa. We talked about it on this podcast. I said, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but it was in the minds of Penn State players the way things went uh, back in 2021. So they don't have that. And it it is going to be a test of, focus and a test of uh, professionalism, so to speak, to make sure that they come in here and have that energy when they don't feed off of it. So I, it, it is maybe the number one factor in this game, right? It, it is that early kick and that lack of juice?
1: Yeah, because I, I don't think you know, Northwestern's play on the field is going to be the number one factor. And I don't mean that, you know, to disrespect the Wildcats, but I mean, they're 26 and a half point dogs at last I checked uh for a reason. You know, they they came back against Minnesota uh from twenty-one down in the fourth quarter. That was a really nice and kind of wild win uh for Northwestern last week. But yeah, you know, Penn State has too much firepower across across every facet uh of this game. And I expect Penn State to handle them pretty easily. Uh I've got Penn State winning 45 to 10, uh Dustin. I don't know if we're doing our predictions now or later, but go for it. Uh, might as well get it out of the way. Yeah, I've got Penn State. I've got Penn State rolling in this game. Uh, I think the way I think actually the way that they've played, the way that they have um, started the season, grinding out wins and and taking what the defense is giving them and and running the ball really well. I actually think plays well into this lack of environment. You know, if you're if you were a team that was just reliant on the big play and they weren't clicking, and then you look around the stands and it's kind of dead, like. I feel like that could settle in and, and be a negative for you on the sideline. Whereas this team has just been running the ball, running the ball, you know, taking what the defense has given them, eight-yard catch, five yard catch here and there. You know, those kind of drives build confidence. Uh they had, you know, four dri- four scoring drives of 10 plays or more against Iowa. Uh, I think that carries on the road. I think that kind of confidence and in, in your ability to just drive the ball down the field methodically, but do it well. I think that travels, and I think it'll travel this weekend at Northwestern, and and mix in I think a couple of big runs from Nick Singleton and Ktron Allen uh, as well.
0: That's uh, a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next, and I think I have it at forty two ten Penn State. So we kind of view it the same way, you know. I, initially, I was just a little like I didn't know what to make of the fact that Northwestern, you know, put up thirty seven and they overcame that deficit and. I think it's very possible that Minnesota is just not very good either. Um, so there's that. Uh, but, you know, the fact that Northwestern has already won two games, that's probably about twice as many as I would have picked them to win this season. So good for them. I mean, it's great to see, you know, David Braun could not have been in a worse position, you know, to have no head coaching experience, be thrust into this in the midst of all all that has been going on with the hazing stuff there. So uh, I'm happy for him as an individual you know, kind of making the most of that opportunity, but I do feel like depth and talent. You know, it just it just wins the day, and Penn State will kind of be able to grind them down. And so, this is something that I that I pose to our Blue White Breakdown uh, Insider text crowd. Uh, if you're interested in that, you want to subscribe. You text Lions to 717-912-9969. The idea is that uh, Penn Live reporters Johnny, Dave, Don- Dave Jones, Bob Flahners, myself, I get involved. Joe Hermit, our photographer, gets involved. We just communicate with you guys, share our thoughts with you directly, and we don't share those things anywhere else. It's kind of an exclusive deal. Uh, but I, I posed the question to that crowd, the Penn State offense, are you comfortable with them being that ultra-reliable, I think you can safely call that a conservative approach, taking what defenses are giving them and being able to drive the ball down the field, or are you a little concerned about the lack of explosive plays? And pretty much the consensus came back from them, and I get it, that as long as they're scoring points and winning games, who cares? And to your point, Johnny, the idea of that offense traveling well uh, is is certainly there. The idea of that offense um, being necessary against Ohio State and being necessary against Michigan, you know, four-minute drill against Michigan to win the game, four-minute drill against Ohio State to win the game, you know, they they can be comfortable in their own skin because they've done, they've executed long drives before. And when you run the ball like they do and you're taking three, four, five yards at a time, you can be troubled by the fact that there aren't bigger runs yet. Or you can say like they pretty reliable moved the chains, uh, stayed on schedule, and that includes Drew Aller's arm as well. That That's going to come in handy at certain points of time. And every time you put the ball in Nick Singleton's hands or Katron Allen's hands, big plays are possible. So when they do start getting those big plays, that reliable offense is going to take a turn to, toward the explosive. But I was just curious... Your thoughts on that? Whether the way that they've managed the the operation so far, especially that's a good way to compliment how well the defense is playing too. Uh, do you think that's the identity? Do you think they're going to turn it up a notch in in bigger games? Do you when they face a more aggressive defense? Are you going to see more shots down the field, kind of like West Virginia, or just what's your what's your thoughts on conservative versus explosive?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's their identity in the fact that they're playing to their strengths right now. And I say right now because Harrison Wallace has missed the last two games. And uh I think he adds a different element to your passing game, especially downfield that they haven't had against Illinois and Iowa. We'll see if he suits up this weekend at Northwestern. But your strengths as an offense is, you know, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, arguably the best running back tandem in college football. And and you have an offensive line led by Olu Fashionou, who is gonna be a top 10 pick. And veterans across the board there on the on the offensive line, and so if you're running the ball consistently, and you know that's opening up the little hitch routes and the and the comebacks on the sidelines, and uh, you know Keandre Lambert Smith is able to break a tackle and and go the distance, he's that kind of player. And Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren over the middle, like I I like what they have, and I like what they've done from a complimentary standpoint on offense. And are big plays going to come? Are they going to need big plays? You know, in the passing game, to beat Ohio State and to beat Michigan, I think so. But I also think you're confident in if you're James Franklin, if you're Mike Yersich, you're confident in what you've seen from Drew Aller in practice over the last you know almost two years. You know, after he enrolled in the spring as a true freshman, you know, just just look at the throw he made at Illinois to Liam Clifford, uh, that sideline throw that 33 yarder. I mean, not many quarterbacks in college football can make that type of you know far hash throw. And so I think you're confident and comfortable with what Drew can do um, throwing the ball downfield. But if you don't have to right now, if you're able to establish yourself as an offense, you know, through four games, that can grind a team out. A team like Iowa that's known to grind teams out, that's kind of their style. And you're able to go out and do it to them and win 31 to nothing. Like I, I, I you'd be hard pressed to find a fan in Beaver Stadium that if you went up to them before the game and said, hey, we're not going to have a play over 20 yards we're going to win 31 to nothing. Like they, they'll take that. Uh, you know, the smart fan will take that every single time. And so I do think it's, it's good for them to establish themselves as that right now. I think they will have to push the ball downfield at least once or twice and, and connect on those uh, in the bigger games against Ohio state, and Michigan, but for now it's perfectly fine.
0: And I think there's something to be said about uh, not needing to reveal anything yet. Like if you can go through, you're through four weeks and you've been pretty dominant to this point without getting into the the route tree that has guys going deep, you know, without getting into double move type stuff, the further you can go showing this is your identity, the bigger the surprise whenever you unleash something against Michigan or Ohio State. Like early in the game, you know, when film's going to suggest, you know, X, Y, and Z, and they go A, B, and C, I mean, there's going to be some openings there. And so for for Penn State, you know, this is a good point about, about Iowa, to throttle Iowa playing their game There's just a little something extra there as far as satisfaction goes. But I do think when they need to get explosive, they have the ability to get explosive. But if you don't need to do it yet, I guess just save it. You know, as much as you can save for those big games, I, I think the better. This is the Blue White Breakdown. So through four weeks is an important distinction, too, because now you have that four game threshold for Penn State freshmen. Uh, and if you're not at the four game threshold, which I think all the green light guys are, if you're not at that four game threshold now, it's a good time to kind of ask about that uh, for for guys who aren't. I think there's two games is is the most anybody's at at this point. So it would make sense for Penn State to kind of peel back uh, and, and use those guys less. But it sounds like from James Franklin's point of view that there hasn't been any fundamental change uh, in those yellow light guys. They're still yellow lights at this point in time.
1: In terms of the green light guys, yeah, it, it's it's all systems go. Nothing has changed. Uh, the four players that James Franklin identified from before the season, linebacker Tony Rojas and defensive backs uh, King Mack, Zion Tracy, and Elliott Washington, uh, they have all played uh, in all four games so far. Would expect them to travel and play against Northwestern this weekend, giving them their fifth regular season game, burning their red shirt. You know, King Mack uh, did not get in on defense last week, but played on special teams. He's been an important piece there. Uh, Zion Tracy, Elliot Washington, and Tony Rojas contributing on defense as well. Uh, those four guys were identified early, uh, a couple of them in spring camp, uh, as early as spring camp, as green light candidates, as true freshmen, and that remains the same. Uh, the three guys who I would consider uh, to be in that yellow light category at this point. Uh, offensive lineman Javon Williams and Anthony Donka and defensive end Jamail Lyons. Uh both of you know, all three of those guys have played in two games uh to this point. Williams and Donka played against Iowa. Uh Jamale played in the first two games of the season against West Virginia and Delaware. We'll see if they travel. Um, but at this point, you know, you've got games upcoming. I mean, Northwestern is You know you would consider to be a likely easy win. You look at the spread and and everything that we already talked about. Uh, But you've got UMass upcoming. You've also got Rutgers. Even though Rutgers is probably better than Northwestern this year, you don't want to play. You know Javin and and Anthony and Jamail. If if you want to redshirt them, you probably shouldn't play them against Northwestern and UMass because then you're putting a bind late in the season if you need them to play a game, uh, and that burns their redshirt. So James. And his staff are thinking about those things constantly. That's what they're considering when they don't put Jamail in against Iowa, or um, you know, all that kind of th- all that kind of stuff. So uh, right now, it's the four firm green light guys, and then the three yellow lights. And then there's been eight eight freshmen who have played in one game. And James said that those yellow lights can turn to green lights if there's an injury. That that's always the case. Uh, we saw that with Drew Shelton last year. You know, he was gonna he was going to redshirt. Until Olu got hurt and he was forced into action to start the final five games of the season. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, and Javen Williams is kind of like the 2023 Drew Shelton, as far as that goes. If there's an injury at tackle, uh he's he's the guy to to burn uh, burn the red shirt. And it'll be interesting because you know, if you're sitting at two games, Jamila Lyons, Javon Williams, Anthony Donka, you're sitting at two games, you know, if if you preserve that and you have let's say Olu Fashionoupe Get some bumps and bruises has been the that's been the terminology of the year so far with injuries. Uh, you got you got two games, you got two weeks to try to get him right and have Jaden Williams play those two games and still preserve. You still have some options there, so that's the the balancing act is ongoing. But I think the important thing to note is that without injury or, or without anything kind of extraordinary, the yellow light guys are going to remain in that category. Uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on uh, has to do with recruiting. Penn State going out west. Uh, to recruit the Whippeel, um, the Pittsburgh area. Um, Taqua Hayes from Aliquippa, you spoke with uh, you know, his coach this week. Really interesting recruiting story, you know when it came to Terry Smith offering him and uh, doing that before Hayes was even a, a factor at Aliquippa. you know, kind of shows that athletically he's kind of met the grade so far. But uh, this was another thing I posed to our blue weight breakdown insider text crowd. Uh, Once again, subscribe by texting Lions to 717-912-9969. Who wouldn't want to exchange text messages with Johnny McGonagall? It is the highlight of my day every time it happens. Pitt fans are a little bit uncomfortable with Penn State making headway out West. And I I would kind of put, you know, what they're doing East in Philadelphia as kind of like a soaring kind of thing, too. So it's like both ends of the state now. It's like Penn State is kind of holding it down at the highest level that I can remember since James Franklin got here.
1: Yeah, they're doing a really good job. I mean, you mentioned this week alone, uh Taquai Hayes and uh Brady O'Hara, uh the four-star tight end from North Catholic. Brady it, it, you know, he's a tight end right now. There's a possibility of him playing offensive tackle, I think at the next level. But those two guys are are players that Pitt was in on. Uh you look at what Penn State has done, you know, in in the 2023 to 2025 class, they've got seven you know, Pitts, Pittsburgh guys committed. Uh, they signed Tamir Robinson and Lamont Payne in the 23 class. They've got Peter Gonzalez and Anthony Specka the duo from Central Catholic, as well as Bell Vernon, uh running back Quentin Martin, one of the best players in the country, committed in the 2024 class, and now Toquai and Brady in the 25 class. So seven guys from 2023 through 2025. They only had seven Western PA guys from 2016 through 2022 uh committed. So Terry Smith is making some serious headway. He's always been invaluable for Penn State staff uh, in the western part of the state. You know, talking to Tiquai Hayes' uh, head coach uh, Mike Warfield at Aliquippa this week. You know, I asked him about the factors that went into Taquai's commitment, and you know, maybe seeing Western PA guys go to Penn State and uh, all. You know, seeing you know a former you know not, um, you know a former Aliquippa player in Zariah Fisher start to make an impact at Penn State. Uh, but he really pointed to his relationship with Terry Smith, and you mentioned, uh, yeah, it was three years ago, uh, December of 2021, I guess it was, or 2020. Yeah, you know, years are just you know melding for me right now, uh, Dustin. But
0: and listen, listen, ta- time is a social construct anyway, Johnny. Who cares? It is. But it was. Really, <laughs> it was
1: once quiet Hayes was a freshman. You know, Terry showed up to Aliquippa's practice uh, as they were prepping for a PIAA playoff game and, and offered to quiet as a freshman. And, and he had, you know, he had emerged as a, as a starting running back for, for the quips uh, as a true freshman, but there's always some hesitancy in offering a freshman. And, you know, Terry asked uh, Alcopa's coach, like, you know, Hey, you know, is he ready kind of deal? Like, should I do it? And Warfield, you know, their, their coach said, look, he's different. He's different on any, on every level as a player, as a person on, off the field, in the classroom, and so they offered him, and that really stuck with Taquai like, throughout the whole process. Um, he was infatuated with Penn State early uh, and you know, and ultimately ended his recruitment uh, this week by committing to Penn State over Pitt, over Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. So more on Taquai in that story if, if you uh, want to go take a look and, and read that, uh, listeners and readers. But yeah, Penn State doing a really good job in the western part of the state. I also think it's just kind of been a bad week for Pitt recruiting wise, because you see Taquai and Brady, you know, commit to Penn state. They've also lost a tight end, uh, who flipped to Nebraska. I believe it was yesterday on Wednesday. Uh, so I think some of those, uh, some of those rough feelings are kind of bubbling over right now. And, uh, at Pitt
0: and just one last thought on on the matter. I mean, one of the things that help Penn state make more headway in the Philadelphia area. In addition to Dion Barnes being a pretty valuable member of the staff in that area uh, was the notion that previously, I think they admitted that they were waiting a little too long to offer guys. And so they got a little bit more aggressive and kind of understood that the early offer was significant. It was, it was significant for to Kawhi Hayes and it's significant for a lot of guys offering a little earlier helped kind of pave the way. And so now you hear the story about offering to Kawhi Hayes, you know, as a freshman, you say true freshman, like there are red shirts in high school. They're just not like official red, red shirts. They're hold kids back. The, those are the those are the red shirts. But yeah, I think that, you know, to to get in early and get those evaluations and trust your evaluations, it's super important in state because, you know, there are going to be some feelings there. But if Penn State doesn't offer a kid until he's a senior and he's in Penn State's backyard, then there's a chance that that, that there it's too little too late. So they're, they're not doing that anymore, and it's paying dividends in both ends of the state. And I would add, in addition to, you know, they're recruiting the South, and they, they made headway in Wisconsin in, the past, in the, you know, the past two classes. They're in Florida with Wan with Sider. They're going more national now, but they're also doing a better job of holding it down in Pennsylvania. And I think it looks like they're making some headway in New Jersey as well. You know, one of their prime commitments came from New Jersey recently, so I understand that. But the, one of their big commitments lately also came from New Jersey. Penn State's just kind of got it going uh, on the field, 4-0, and looking to go 5-0 and here this weekend at Northwestern. It's a noon Eastern time kickoff, uh, 11 a.m. local time kickoff, Penn State, Northwestern, 26.5 favorites the Lions are. so we'll see what happens there. We'll keep tracking all the recruiting efforts as well. It's Johnny McGonigal. I'm Dustin with for this week's Blue White Breakdown. Remember, you can locate all of our podcasts on Apple, Alexa, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Uh, and you can also check us out, PennLive.com/slash Penn State We'll see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.